Alright, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another episode of Thoughts on Films, the podcast that thinks a lot on films in Malaysia and beyond. My name is Fikri, and today I have with me Miss Eza Mahmood, or Mrs. Eza Mahmood, I keep forgetting that, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries, hello everyone, thank you for tuning in, hey, how are you sir? I'm doing right, thanks, what about you, how's life in Penang? <laughs> So far, so good. Loving it. And yep, very relaxing and yeah, calming lah, I would say. <laughs> That's actually very good because I think in many respects, for today's episode, we are going to jump into a context that is certainly very far away from Penang and, and whatnot, <laughs> but also yep. uh, a context that may not necessarily be all that calm because we are going to be that. looking at... Selected films from the Swana Film Festival. So, the Swana Film Festival, for those of you who may not know, mm-hmm. is an event focusing on Southwest Asian and North African films, poetry, and workshops. So, that's where the Swana, S W A N A, term comes from Southwest ah. Asia and North Africa. So, the Swana Film Festival. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Hosted by the School of Art uh, from the University of Manitoba, it ran from the 5th to the 18th of February 2021. It was curated by Christina Hajar, described on her website as a queer, femme, first-generation Lebanese-Canadian artist, writer, and cultural worker. That's quite a description right there. <laughs> I like That's it. That's a lot of hat, actually. It is, like, yeah. You know. <laughs> I like it, but it is a bit of a mouthful. But I, but I do like it. And it is quite interesting to see how all this will come together because in this particular instance, she focused on the Southwest Asian and North African creativity mm. on screen to speak uh, of themes related to diaspora, uh, connection and disconnection, agency as well as change. So I think mm. uh, before I move on, perhaps it is... In, in the best interest of our listeners and for this episode to say that when we mm-hmm. say South A- Southwest Asia and North Africa I think another term that we can probably use to describe it is Arabic the Arab mm. world in many respects I, I'm i not sure whether that's uh, necessarily the term that uh, the people involved here wish to be associated with but certainly from mm. our perspective I mean looking at this I, I have not really come across the term Southwest Asia as much so I had to really think a bit Macam Southwest Asia ni kat mana kan You've heard of South Asia Southeast Asia mm-hmm. you heard of East Asia But Southwest Asia Central Asia you've heard of as well But Southwest mm-hmm. Asia is not a term That I come across as much And and mm-hmm. for the benefit of those Who may not necessarily uh, be as aware Of in this particular instance We are essentially looking at uh, the, the Arabic uh, context, uh, diaspora, identity, so on and so forth. Um, I think if you are to look at it in another way, uh, we can also apply the term the Middle East. Although, having said that, it is also suggesting something that is of uh, a slightly different orientation. Because when you say much East in, in this context, Middle East again, we are looking mm. at things from more from a Western-based perspective. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I feel like Southwest Asia is another term that can be used to reclaim a bit more of that identity mm. or label for themselves if they wish to work uh, with such labels to begin with. 
that I think is a, the logic behind the term swana. So I, I think, yeah, just just to provide that context. Uh, sorry, Ezra, you want to say something? No, to me, like it's I've I've, I don't usually uh, use the term Southwest Asian as well. So when I Google it, I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense because we usually separate much like, Middle East and then North Africa, mm. and then like it makes sense where these are the Arabic speaking or at least they have like one of the languages they use are Arabic so mm. you know interesting to know or to learn more about geography in today's episode so yeah absolutely and in fact um, out of the two of us perhaps you can provide a more enlightened perspective in some ways because you've been to Tunisia <laughs> yep <laughs> so you you have definitely gotten a lot closer to Southwest Asia than I have true <laughs> Oh, basically, I was in Southwest Asia, like, like if Tunisia, because Tunisia is at the north. Yeah, I didn't realize until just now when I googled Southwest. Oh, actually, Tunisia is also part of it because yes, Tunisia, yeah. Tunisia was uh, North Africa in this case. North Africa, exactly, yeah, yeah. and 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 Arab Arab countries because uh, they all speak Arabic and they were colonized by the French. So this. So Arabic is their first language, second is French, third is English. So when I was there for two months during my internship, it was, it was, I, I don't feel like out of place because at times I feel insecure about my language skill in my English and then, oh, they also speak somewhat, me, I mean, we understood each other. So that's, that's good. That's fantastic. I learned some French. I I pick up some French as well, but very limited. We like we sava sebo. So yeah. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Perhaps we can touch base with the French side of your identity in a short while. <laughs> but for now, we are just going to be looking at uh, a number of films. So the mm. event, uh, the Swana Film Festival, ran for two weeks. We actually missed the first week, which featured four short films and a poetry reading by Safia oh. El Hilo. But uh, for, for our purposes, we are focusing on the second week, which also had four films and a poetry reading. We missed the first week because I didn't know about it. That's uh, the short version, basically. Ah, okay. I only found out about <laughs> it, and then I only found out about it um, right in the last uh, few days of the event itself. So uh, I just thought that it'd be quite interesting we can just... Uh, watch these films and then just uh, discuss Mm-mm-mm. them on a more general basis. But having said that, uh, the whole event or the, the whole, the second week rather, kicked off with a poetry reading, Sleep Study Number no. 3 by Hala Aliad. Now, Hala is an award-winning Palestinian-American writer and clinical psychologist whose work has appeared in The New Yorker, which is a magazine in the United States, Mm-mm. and The Mm-mm. New York Times, one of the, the leading newspapers in also in the United States as well, uh, among mm-hmm. others. So Sleep Study Number no. 3, in this case, appears to be her own original work was, and was actually published mm. in the fall 2020 edition, the, the, the autumn 2020 edition mm. of Adi Magazine. And we'll share a link to this particular poem uh, later mm. on uh, in, in the show notes. Uh, but for me, well, we're just going to briefly run through this because it's not really a film mm. per se, but, but all the same, it is interesting to reflect on uh, there, there are a number of bits here that I, I would personally like to get into. But before I do that, mm. I kind of wonder, Ezra, mm. whether you have your own uh, perspective on this particular poem or the poetry reading? Uh, initially, I... Because it's... 
it's not weird I would say but it has been a while since I listened to a poetry reading mm. especially now online so it it, it it taken me back to a time where I usually you know tune in YouTube and just put on <laughs> poetry reading by uh, you know my favourite poets so uh, I find it a bit uh, distance I don't know why probably I mean things that she's been reading is uh, very impactful, very powerful. But at the same time, I think I think because of the setting, co it looks like a it was not set up. Kind it was just like a how to say mm. like she a, was just a, reading a, it in her bedroom, basically. Yeah. So to me, I got I got disconnected for a bit. So I have to re-listen it twice to get the because what she's reading is so powerful, so deep, so intense, and I. I need to close my eyes a second time to listen to it and I think the topic is definitely very interesting and very close to her heart because it's about you know the struggle the suffering and 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 we here in Malaysia growing up Palestine uh, the issue of Palestine Israel is is always uh, being talked about being discussed there are a lot of uh, Malaysian uh like foundations and right. organization that that really really um informs us especially when i was in school there's a lot of talks about uh the issue of the palestinian and israel um border and whatnot so i i understand and i look at it from that point of view and it it i think for me i really like it it's just i feel like it's to meet halfway mm. uh, with the with the poem so I think uh, that's one thing definitely right okay fair enough yeah. I, I, I will agree with you because I think what, what appears in the poem is actually mm. something that perhaps we have a more superficial understanding of mm. uh, little mm. things like for instance um, uh, there, there was a part where she actually even uh, mentioned uh, the diagnostic code so she read this code mm. and she said mm. that there there is a number for every grief and and that's a, actually a line from, from the poem and then mm. subsequently she read the code ICD 10 CM diagnostic code F 51.4 and that turned out to be the code for night terrors and that was something that she talked Ooh. about in the poem as well so what was interesting here is that uh, this is where I guess you could say the clinical psychologist as well as the artistic side of it <laughs> would converge yep. because mm-hmm. uh, what the, the code I mentioned earlier, ICD-10CM, it stands for International Classification of Diseases, comma, 10th Revision, okay. comma, Clinical Modification. Ah. So ah. there is, there, I suppose it basically means that for almost every type of ailment or disease, there is mm. uh, a certain, as, as he says here, international classification, a certain code, mm. uh, a number, as she said, for every grief. And <clears throat> just so you know, I did a bit of research. It turns out there's also one for coronavirus. There's a number of different types. Oh. But um, someone who is actually afflicted with coronavirus or who has been exposed to COVID-19, as we know mm. it, the code we're mm. looking at is ICD-10-CM. Diagnostic mm. code Z20.822. Oh, 
wow i so didn't I, know this <laughs> i i, I oh, didn't know it either i mean i did a bit of research i just googled a bit mm-hmm. more and then i realized mm-hmm. that it's quite interesting to see how such a medical or, or clinical context is actually being reworked into a more artistic or creative expression which on a personal mm. level i've not really come across as much either so i thought that was mm. quite uh, interesting <clears throat> true but of course i think uh, the the main thing is is about uh, on, on a certain level perhaps um, post traumatic stress disorder and perhaps related to a sense of dislocation from uh, from palestine itself so there's a mm-hmm. part where she also said a tattoo of my grand- grandfather's birthplace that like she should have gotten it um, some time ago or something like that and and, mm-hmm. and there was a part of the poem she said a good palestinian would wear it on her skin so this mm-hmm. is actually not entirely related uh, to the, the poem as a whole but I'm reminded of a mm. scene in the film Munich by Steven Spielberg where we came across some Palestinian characters and you would see them mm. wearing a key on their necklace and the key yeah. on, on their necklace is actually uh, the key that to their home that they would take and bring with them when they were forced into exile in 1948 by the Palestine war uh, which mm. is uh, an event that saw basically saw the establishment of Israel as as the nation that we know and, and understand it to be today. So, mm. so in this context, it feels like on some level, mm. Palestinians will perhaps bring something with them, and and kind of mm-hmm. carry with them to remind them of the home that they uh, have been uh, taken away from in in this regard. Mm. So I kind of mm. connect that what she said about her tattoo uh, to to something like that, the key that people would mm-hmm. wear around the necklace. So it's, it seems like um, for Palestinians, this is something that is quite important to them, perhaps. So maybe she doesn't mm-hmm. have a specific key that she would also bring with her, but at least in this mm-hmm. case, instead of a key, a, a kind of tattoo of her grandfather's birthplace, as she said, is something that a good Palestinian would wear on her skin. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. True, true. Would you would you have a tattoo of uh, Penang on your skin somewhere? <laughs> the Penang flag, perhaps. No, I might I might just carry the flag cord whenever <laughs> I travel. <laughs> no, that's too definitely. Cause you know you can lift it, get to the put it in your bag and like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Is it gonna be that the big flag that people hang outside of the gate out outside of the house or? Will it be like the little flag that people stick on their cars during Hari Merdeka or something? I think the latter one, yes, so I can just say no, represent yeah. Penang. And yeah, yeah. I, I did I bring, oh, I remember when I was in the UK, hmm. I bring a map, I bring a map. It was, given, it was given by my best friend Aisha. She gave me a map of Georgetown. Mm. And I carry with it, and I yeah put it on my wall when I was in the UK. So, and I remember she wrote something like rediscovering um, your town or relearning or re just revisit your your nila hometown. So yeah, I I remember I carry a map with me, a Penang map to oh, UK. So that that's is, one. That is absolutely brilliant. Do you still have the map, by the way? Yes, I think I I I do somewhere i haven't put on the walls yet but probably in my mother's uh, my parents house lah because mm. i think uh, there is a there is a few very small boxes of paraphernalia and memories that i bring back from the uk that i haven't 
They visit and I haven't opened, so probably it's in it's in there. Hmm. <laughs> That's yep, brilliant. Yep. By the way, I also have a map that I still keep that I got from you, a map of Penang as well, actually. Oh, that you, you gave did? that you, yeah you oh, gave wow. me you gave me a map of Penang on your mm-hmm. wedding invitation card which oh <laughs> yes so I it's like a, a little drawn format. he drew it on on the uh, paper mm-hmm. and oh, wow. I still have that so well it seems that maps are very important ladies and gentlemen <laughs> boys and girls children of all ages um, but yeah so nevertheless that, I mean that's that's a discussion that's an interpretation that mm-hmm. I, I kind of wish to add into the mix there nothing more to add uh, with, uh, with the exception of one thing which is that it also had ellipses so there are little blanks mm. here and there which I feel encourage greater interaction between the reader uh, in this case uh, uh, what's the name again um, Hala Alian and Hala also Alian, yeah, and also the listener or the viewer of, of this performance because there are parts where she said nothing will protect us from the dot 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 yeah. So this is it's just a yeah. silence. So nothing will protect us from the, not even your mother's. Mm. I'm always a, mm. in my dreams, I, mm. women onto the mattress, so, they drown. I press the O. Of rifles to. Temples. So her performance mm. of this, with the ellipses, it kind of tempted me into filling the blanks with you know my own words which kind of mm. made me a little more involved than I would have been otherwise so I, I thought that was a pretty cool thing as well to be honest with you Mm-mm. this dark is a study on redaction nothing will protect us from the not even your mother's I am always a in my dreams I woman onto the mattress so they drown I press the O of rifles to temples. But having said that, as much as I, I thought that was pretty nice and interesting, we, we're not really here to talk about poetry readings because uh, we, we are hope, <laughs> hoping to uh, get more into the, the film discussion, which we have a better idea about. So the first film that we're yep. going to be talking about today is Rosa, R-O-S-A, <laughs> by Suha Araj which is an American film made just last mm. year. And before we actually get to the film itself, I just need to explain that in the show notes, I shared a link with Eza. And mm. it's just basically it's entitled Rosa Song in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So I need to explain, ladies and gentlemen, that in, in the show, the TV show Brooklyn Nine-Nine, there's a character called Rosa. And, and she's a police officer. And what they would every once in a while come across mm-hmm. this Pontiac bandit or Doug Judy, a character who <laughs> actually likes Rosa. And so every time he gets captured by Rosa, he would try to seduce her. And <laughs> so he would always uh, like see her and then, he, and, then, and then he's, you know, captured, handcuffed. He's in the interrogation room. Uh, and then he would sing, Rosa, 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 ooh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I remember the episode. You remember the episode? Do you, do you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yes, I do. And oh. I haven't finished season season seven, so I'm still catching up on on, on the Brooklyn Nine Nine. So yeah, uh, we love Brooklyn Nine Nine, and uh, we yeah. I don't know if I'm sure you've read that. You know the season uh, ending and 
I'm not ready emotionally for it. I'm like, I want more. Understood. Understood. I feel much of the same way. I I came across it last year in lockdown and breezed through all the episodes because it's just hilarious. And anyways, the point is that coming back to to what we're trying to talk Mm -hmm. about here. So it it does get to the point where every time I, I hear the name Rosa... I am thinking of Rosa from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And if I think of that, I think of Doug Judy singing that song. (laughs) Rosa, 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 oh yeah, beautiful Rosa. I think he's into me. What do you do to these perps? Fear is a powerful aphrodisiac. Having said that, it's not entirely irrelevant because uh, Mm. the film Rosa by Suha Araj is apparently set in Brooklyn in New York so the story is of Rosa played by Jackie Cruz who works at her aunt's flower shop and at, at the same time she she's also running a side business of shipping undocumented bodies back to their homes for burial mm. so one person in need of such a service is Ali played by Hadi Tabal whose father had passed away. So this is like something that I, I, I think is quite significant and important. And to be honest with you, mm-hmm. something that I thought of a fair amount about um, mm. over, the, over the years, but I'll get to that in a short while. Mm. Uh, the film mm-hmm. is produced by Mariam Keshavars and Ana Margarita Albello. The cinematographer is Zilmira Gainza. I like I like the cinematography work here as well. Uh, we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a short while as well. The production mm-hmm. design is by Jacqueline Sini. Uh, the film is edited by Andrea Shinoli. And sound was mixed by Matt Waters. Um, the film itself was made as a part of the 2018 Through Her Lens uh, program, which is a Tribeca Chanel uh, women's film uh, filmmaker program. It premiered mm-hmm. at the Black Star Film Festival uh, event last year, where it won mm-hmm. the Best and Narrative Short and uh, also the Lionsgate uh, slash Stars Short Film Award. It also won the Best Narrative Short category in the Maverick Awards at the 21st Woodstock Film Festival. So Ooh. there's uh, quite a number of uh, accolades already afforded to this particular film. For now, mm-hmm. Eza, I kind of just want to know what your thoughts and feelings are about this film. Perhaps maybe even you can choose the one thing that stood out for you uh, as you saw this film. I think one thing that definitely stood out for me among other things I, when I think I I came in to watch the film without having any um, synopsis reading and whatnot. So initially, I mm. thought I was like, oh, it's a cool film. She works as a florist. And then eventually, when the characters start to evolve, and I... Uh, when they introduce Ali's character and then I think the moment that I that really stood out for me because initially I didn't realize when when he was when he was still one of the scenes was he was um watching this video on YouTube on how to uh Mandi Jenazah meaning how to do uh evolution for the dead uh, in Muslim uh, I mean if uh in Islam. So <clears throat> So initially, it didn't it didn't occur to me until when he he kissed he kissed his uh, father's forehead and I saw the father is like pale and like oh my god is that so I think I think that's when my heart breaks and and I think it's an absolutely in- interesting experience because I didn't have any expectation <laughs> before that uh, mm. it was uh, I didn't have any idea. Uh, watch the film was just like oh okay this girl and this this uh, this woman and then this man and then 
that is the moment when I'm like, oh, okay, things getting real. This is bad. Like, I got panic a bit. <laughs> oh, mm. as as uh, and in understanding Ali's character, I'm like, how is he going to do it alone? I mean, is is it even possible? And uh and, and and especially in Malaysia you have like a team of of you know uh knowledgeable people who will do it uh, for you and your family members and it is advice for you to do as well if your family member is the deceased but you know you need you, you are not in the emotional you know in the apa, mental capacity or this you don't have the strength to do mm. it alone so so being especially far from home for this character or probably the, the disease punya home so it got me really empathetic towards um, the character so i think that's really hooked me and i just stay uh, until the end of the film and <clears throat> i think it's interesting to to see i think it definitely deserved the best narrative uh, short category because I think it's it's a beautifully tell us uh, it's it it has been told very subtly and uh, the things that um, we see uh, on 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 the scenes and like the interaction between them and a few of it I feel like I said oh, okay uh, it, it it occurs to me like oh, okay is this is this illegal mm. <laughs> like like is it um not allowed are they are aren't they like uh, a, uh an organization that help people to do that, especially if they're undocumented and whatnot so a lot of logistical things and legal things run through my head while watching this so um other than that it feels so it feels um it's a humbling experience to be reminded um of uh you know you your days are numbered and i think that's one thing i think the the theme of the film carries carries beautifully especially if you still have parents and you know you don't you don't know whether you're gonna be gone first or they're gonna you know mm. be gone first so so i think it's it's very humbling and interesting film I like how you described it as a very humbling film because I feel much the same. And in fact, mm-hmm. I, the, the scene where you mentioned how we realized that his father is the one who is uh, dead and, and in bed and whatnot. Mm. To, at, right at the very start of the scene, you don't actually see that. And, and in fact, mm. in the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, what you see is uh, a shot of Ali watching a video. And then you, you see him watching the video and then in the video you see like somebody like washing a body and whatnot mm. um and i i when i saw that i i didn't really understand to begin with that it was actually somebody washing or showing uh it's a tutorial uh, showing mm. you how to wash a dead body but mm. i i did see the video just very briefly and then it kind of made me think why is he watching this video uh, mm. and then i realized very quickly that he is watching the video Uh, Ali that is because he had to do it himself mm. and I just at that moment that like, everything much like, you know just switched yeah. and I, I went from kind of being a little <laughs> quizzical maybe even a little cynical on some level to being mm-hmm. you know I just try to yeah. try to imagine what, what it must have been like in, in that situation and this is another context mm-hmm. as well ladies and gentlemen because by and large the general practice is that 
when a person passes on, the, the Islamic mm -hmm. uh, preference would be to uh, have the body buried as soon as possible. Mm. Uh, usually within 24 hours or something like that. Uh, if it's mm. not 24 hours, then still, you know, maybe you have uh, some other reason for it. But the point is, it is not something that, in, in contrast to perhaps other traditions or other ways or methods in in, a, in uh, uh, other contexts and cultures where uh, you you have the chance to kind of really, in in a way, uh, prepare mm. the body, have a kind of wake, and then people can mm. come and, and visit and 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 you know, say their final prayers and, and uh, eulogies and whatnot. So mm -hmm. in, in the Islamic context, it, it tends to be a lot more immediate. So I think mm. on, on a more silent level, there is also that pressure, that time pressure to, to make sure that, you know what, you got to make sure that the body gets back to, in this case, uh, Iraq, if I'm not mistaken. You got to make mm, sure yep. that the body gets back to Iraq as soon as possible. So you are in a state of mind where as, as, as I mentioned just now, you're probably not in, in the, 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 the right emotional um, state or, of mind or being mm. and whatnot, but this is what has to be done. So, mm. so I think there's that extra time pressure as well. Um, uh, I think there was also a scene uh, in, in, in which uh, him and then there's another lady, uh, I can't mm. remember her name now, but I think it's probably one of the neighbors or, or just one of the acquaintances and whatnot. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're reading Al-Fatiha, uh, which is the, the first verse of the Quran, basically. And I was tempted to pray along. And then about halfway through, I just eventually ended up following and, and, and praying along for this for character. <laughs> so it sounds a bit weird, but, but that's like because it's like the, the thing that I have been conditioned with. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, kalau yeah. orang lain baca doa, you pun ikut lah. Kalau you tak tahu, at least mm -hmm. you angkat your tangan. And then you mm -hmm. kind of just <laughs> go can. along. You I mean can <laughs> that's right. So I just wonder, Ezra, whether this was the same for you. Uh, I mean, this is a film, but yet I was mm -hmm. kind of drawn to the reality so much so that I was prompted to react in a certain way in real life. Was it the same for you? I mean, yes, absolutely. I think I understood some of the prayers and... Because we usually pray, usually read after our salah and like asking for husnul khatimah, meaning like a good ending. And uh, so I understood. Say I, you know, so I did amin kan for the character as well. So there you go. And, <laughs> there you go. So yeah, simply because I understood a, a little bit of what she's she's reading and the prayers and so mm. yeah, and I feel like that. I, I think that's a very somewhat uh, hypnotical I wouldn't say hypnotical but I feel so like the, the, the scene was real to me for a bit so mm. yeah I think that's why that's why we reacted that way and I think yeah I think that's at least that's for me I, I mean kind <laughs> the dua I mean so yeah I think and uh, yeah I think because um, I think that our I would say my reaction is also because as a Muslim and you know you're reading a prayer so it's automatic lah it's, it's really uh, yep yeah fair enough uh, it was the same for me as well as, as I've described earlier mm -hmm. um, but having said that this film what, what I like about it is that it doesn't really have that approach where this is the only right way and in fact mm. there's a fair amount of macam uh, compromise on some level ataupun macam understanding mm -hmm. from other characters so there was a brief mm -hmm. moment in the middle where I thought 
maybe we can have a bit of a conflict in terms of the narrative or the story mm, because mm, mm, there was a part when Rosa wanted to do it for Ali but then Ali said you can't do it as as you are not a Muslim and then what he said was mm. I must protect his integrity but Rosa didn't take it personally she she appeared mm. to be quite uh, understanding of the situation mm. and in fact she explained everything in in a logical and practical sense which I'm okay yeah, mm-hmm. I understand it of course absolutely but then she also said that you you need help uh, to kind of mm-hmm. make this work and get things done in the in the context mm-hmm. that we are in right now so I, I, I like that I just like that uh, conversation that communication between two people who as mm-hmm. it turns out are essentially strangers you know Rosa is helping Ali out True. you know uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. because they are friends perhaps it doesn't seem like they are friends but but all mm-hmm. the same, there's a certain uh, level of, of empathy and professionalism and, and sympathy mm-hmm. as well on some level uh, to, to Rosa's actions. And I personally like that very much. Um, having said that, uh, that there's, there's one bit where I say that doesn't match with the rest of the film. <laughs> because uh, yeah. the, when Ali and Rosa first meet with each other, uh, it was a little clandestine so it was basically a montage of of some uh, brief interactions where Ali would give Rosa the money and then Rosa would take uh, would, would go from the shop or go to another place and then take some supplies from somebody else and whatnot. so the whole thing was mm-hmm. shot and edited and put together it felt like they were drug dealing and <laughs> I, I for a moment I thought because at that stage I was still kind of wondering what's going on it is, mm, this is still mm, relatively mm. early in the film and I wondered yep. whether this suddenly became an episode of Narcos or something whether <laughs> they, were, they were doing something much illegal which to be honest with you they were now, I mean this is mm. whole thing I mean this is not mm-hmm. something that is above board so to speak if you, don't, if you want mm-hmm. to talk about um, satisfying paperwork and all these document, uh, forms of documentation but nevertheless, mm. I think just that that brief segment in the middle of the film kind of didn't really match as much with uh, the, the tone of the other films. Uh, at least not for mm. me. So I don't, I don't know whether that was the same for you. But, but yeah. Uh, and I think there's something else here. Yep, yep. Um, Ali also turns out to be a cab driver, which is a common occupation for migrants coming to New York. I think that's, if you want to go mm. with stereotypes... Um, in New York City, apparently that's the kind of jobs or occupation that uh, migrants mm. uh, or people who are not native to New York would actually uh, take part in. And maybe mm. even in, in, in my personal experience in the UK, because certainly in Nottingham, what I'm told mm. by other uh, Indonesians who have lived here in, mm. in Nottingham for a long time is that if you want to go to the mosque and if you want to pray... You want to go to the mosque for uh, solat hari raya, kan? You know, on on mm. the on the morning of hari raya, for instance, and you get mm. ready and whatnot, and then you know you you prepare in your best clothes and everything, and then mm. you want to call the cab, and they take out the the phone, and then you put in the order for the cab. You might end up waiting for a while because <laughs> all the cab drivers themselves are at the mosque, and they themselves okay. are taking part in the. Uh, but Hari Raya prayers, lah, basically, the solat raya. Mm-hmm. So, 
So I think like it's it's a small funny anecdote, and of course there are non-Muslim or non-migrant uh, taxi drivers out there. Mm-hmm. But I think that kind of helps to paint at least a part of that bigger picture context here, or of how mm. if you're a migrant you do this kind of stuff. So I think um, that there's something else that I thought about as well. Mm. Um, finally, I just want to get to the idea for the film itself so I did some research on this film and it turns out that because mm. I wondered whether Suha Araj actually faced the same thing you know what I mean like perhaps mm. something happened mm. in her own life that made her feel like she should turn this into a film uh, that turned out to not necessarily yep. be the case but the idea actually came from an art installation which was inspired by the burial of her grandfathers in Michigan mm. and mm. and the, the thing here is that in, in that context they were not actually from Michigan. I, I suppose in a, mm. uh, Suha, I, I, oh, I, I'm not sure where she is actually from. I mean, that she, I, I'm guessing she's American, but, but she will probably also identify as something else as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Lebanese, maybe, um, or, or something like that. So, so in that context, um, <clears throat> she, there's a quote here. She said, I never felt like that was the proper final resting place for them. It was an unsettling mm-hmm. feeling for me. For the installation, mm-hmm. I set up an altar with items that made me think of them, and I asked people mm-hmm. to sign a guest book saying mm-hmm. where they'd like to be buried, which is such a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, imagine signing a guest book, and the question is, oh yeah, when you pass on, where would you like your body to be buried? I, mm-hmm. It's an interesting question, it's a right. Um, so, so that's something that, that I came across. And overall, I must mm-hmm. say that... Oh. that yeah, but yeah, sorry, you want to say something? Suha, Suha is from Palestine. Palestine. Uh, she's Palestinian-American. Palestinian-American. Sorry about that, Suha. Yep. Um, we got that wrong, but we corrected it just in time, right? But nevertheless, I think we, we kind of have an idea of, of the kind of diasporic experience mm-hmm. that a lot of people would experience in the American context. And mm-hmm. kind of on that note, I kind of, kind of wanted to point out that I mentioned earlier how this is a film or a story that I connect with on a personal basis because on some level this is kind mm. of like one of my own fears mm. in, in the sense that macam kita memang kita tak tahu when our time will be up mm. but True. me being me right now uh, that's just if you're going to ask me like Fikri where are you going to be next year mm. or next ever two years Kapaka there's Mm-mm. that lack of of, uh, of an anchor that mm. means that I, I look at, at wherever I am at as a permanent place of residence because I, I'm always mm. um, I'm always on the move in a way for, for all sorts of different personal and professional reasons and Mm-mm. and whenever I move and people will ask me oh are, are you moving for good and my response is always for good for now <laughs> I just don't know. I, I just true, don't know. True. I think I. I just don't know. You just I, I, for me. I just don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when I went uh, overseas for for my studies, and when I came mm-hmm. back, I thought that mm-hmm. was it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when 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 we went to to London when I was a lot younger, my, my family and I, when we came mm-hmm. back, I thought that was it. That is, we're just going to be here in mm-hmm. Malaysia, and. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and then later on, I, I I moved to Indonesia, 
and and then I thought, okay, that was it. But then I ended up moving to to England as well again, and I thought, okay, mm. uh, this this is kind of fine. But you know, you never know. <laughs> and and now I'm back True. in Malaysia, and mm. so it's it, it, it just at least for me for all sorts of different reasons I can't pick a place uh, mm. that I can identify as a permanent place of residence. So for me, I have kind of that fear that I don't really talk about as much with other people that kalau aku meninggal dekat Indonesia for instance uh, mm. you know of course my body I think will be buried in Indonesia but but mm. you know how, how how will my family feel about it um, yeah. I, and when I say my family I mean, I'm not talking about my wife or my son and whatnot. I'm talking about my, mm. my parents I'm talking about my sisters mm. so that mm. that's um, this film in in a in a slightly indirect way, it touches on the issue, but but the subject matter or the perspective is is prioritized over the living rather than the dead, of course, right? Mm-hmm. But but nevertheless, it, it it is a particular fear of mine that I I may end up passing away in a place mm. very far away from from my loved ones, and. Mm. And I'm not sure what the procedure after that would be like. Maybe I should find out, or maybe I should kind of like write a will saying that no matter what, I'm going to be buried here, kapa kagan. But mm. but I, I just don't know whether it works that way. So so that's for me. I'm just thinking out loud. As I had, yeah. I don't know whether you have the same thoughts or feelings, or, or maybe if even if you do, maybe it's not something you wish to share. Um, uh, I mean, definitely, I use the for good for now terms to answer uh, questions for a couple years now but I think during COVID where my master studies were uh, planned didn't happen so it really really um, kind of changed the paradigm of way of thinking for me and, and Adib because I feel like before this was still like okay we're migrating here and there but for now Penang is home and Penang is where we uh, are rooting our dreams and <laughs> I would say uh, at least for this couple years so I'm still gonna use the term in, we'll be in Penang for good for now <laughs> so that's still relevant because we haven't uh, it's still like I think similarly with you <clears throat> it's um for me I guess it's it's the uncertainties of uh where we will we we will be settled. Uh we're not sure if Penang's the place we'll stay because we we I grew up in Penang, uh, born and raised and then moved to KL and the UK for studies and come back and I look at Penang with a different light and as an adult Aza feel like oh Penang is nice. Penang is way nicer than where I remember it because I'm rediscovering and revisiting a lot of places mm. that I grew up um, visiting. So that's one. And to think about where I should be buried is not something that I <laughs> had uh, any thought yet. But <laughs> I think Penang is uh, definitely on the top of the list. Um, mm. And the logistic of it, I think it's it's... Itulah macam it's a good reminder of uh, Macam mana nanti uh, Because my parents is in Kedah And they were in Penang And my atuk mm. is in Penang So Adib's family is in Johor So yeah mm. they're just uh, their home 
is a lot of places uh, at the moment. Uh, hmm. Macam home is where the family is. So family is everywhere. So so this is us. Uh, we will will basically just chilling and um, having Penang as our home for good for now. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna use that a lot now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Penang kot Penang Saya macam um, Yelah It's It's a, it's, a, it's An open-ended question We haven't answered The question Of where we'll settle Yet So yeah Understood Fair enough um, we'll, we'll, we'll just leave it At that for now Ladies and gentlemen Because I fear The conversation Has taken a turn For <laughs> uh, I don't know Other things That I don't really Want to be as honest About in terms of Vanilla because like I said this is not really something that I've really articulated out loud um, mm. as much uh, even with some of my closest friends so mm. perhaps uh, at least uh, at least for me and, and maybe even for you Ezra we'll just take we'll just mm. take our time and work this out on a more personal basis um, yep thank, yeah, thank nevertheless, you for sharing it no well <laughs> you're welcome I guess <laughs> um, if, you, if you wish to find out more uh, we, we will be sharing uh, a link um, to the interview there, there were there, there are a couple of interviews one was conducted with Film Fest magazine and another with Movable uh, Fest uh, the, both, both interviews conducted by the director uh, Suha Araj so yeah that is the film Rosa no, no, this is wrong. I'm going to bury him here with okay. honor. It's gonna be okay soon, all right? This was almost the hardest part. The next film that we will be looking at is Though I Am Silent, I Shake by Sophie Sabet, who is, uh, I think, an Iranian-Canadian, perhaps. Um, this, this film is actually... A little more experimental in some way, a little more artistic, uh, yep. because it is it is mm-hmm. more of a documentary in which she interviews her mother, right? Um, mm. The official synopsis is this: Though I am silent, I shake. Explores the complexity of the diasporic queer female body. In the video, Sabat has asked her mother to revisit the story of a controversial painting exhibition she was a part of in 1990 in Tehran, Iran, ten years after the Islamic Revolution. The video mm. employs long take, fixed frames that encourage slow looking and contemplation. Sabit captures an intimate conversation between mother and daughter regarding diverging and overlapping ideas of womanhood, the body, and familial relationships. And mm. I think this is uh, actually, yeah, as as the as it says on the Tinder, it's more of a, a one man kind of show, one woman kind of show in a way, very minimal. Mm. Uh, I did really notice. Mm. Uh, uh, a group of filmmakers um, involved in in this, but, but perhaps there are. Uh, but if there if there are, then I apologize. I apologize for not including their names here. What's very mm. interesting here is that I I didn't really know for sure about the Iranian connection. So when I watched the film mm. the first time, I didn't really catch on the cues to suggest that they are uh, people who have connections to Iran. And it mm. is in fact uh, the mother who talked about having her work exhibited at uh, Sehun Gallery in Tehran. Um, mm. in, it, she just said Sehun. And I, I Googled that because I figured that might give me a clue as to the, the context that we're talking about here. Mm. And that turned out to be a, ga- a gallery in, in Tehran, which is uh, in Iran. 
and mm. and that's how I know. But but without that, I would have been a little more um, disconnected with the story presented here. Uh, mm. Because I think on a whole, it strikes me that um, the the film is is more of a relatively abstract kind of documentary in a way uh, yep. about a woman who herself appears to be somewhat abstract in in terms of mm. her works of art. Now I might be misreading that, but that was the feeling I got watching this film the first time. I just wonder whether mm. as a you had uh, so, whether you had something different in watching this film. Uh, I think when I I think the first uh, scene or the first shot that we see is just this waving, beautifully waving uh, sheets, white sheets. Uh, and there's no other um, music accompanying it. It's just purely uh, ambience. And I I think because I've made some similar uh, films for my master uh, application. All so, right. So, yeah, I, uh, it's kind of like one. you have to make a... Segar lah, Isa. Tapi nanti saya tunjuk. Um, so was it any when you interviewing um, Adib? Were you interviewing Adib? Was it Adib no, who was like what? hanging the white cloths? No. <laughs> no. So I think like because I was I was asked to make like a silent film without any dialogue or music or just oh, purely cool. um visual and editing so and convey an emotion so they have like a few options to pick and choose so I choose um, the the contrast I guess mm. so I just use this kind of te- technique where I just take uh, just bring my camera and take a long shot of things that because and and the assignment was made during COVID so right. like there, there I can't really travel and so I just film uh, around in and around my house so yeah they they liked it and I got in <laughs> I mean I got offered a place because they really liked the film um, so yeah I'll, I'll definitely show you the film after this because <laughs> it was uh, I think it, it was uh, because they said like okay no one it has to be a private link so in my head I said oh okay betul juga because they don't want it to be anywhere else kind. but now it's not private anymore the film so yeah anyway so it reminded me because um, in this particular film though I am silent I shape by Sophie Sabat is like I think um uh, initially, before the narration came in, I was like, "Oh, okay, this is there's my my brain start to interpret already the meaning of this white sheet um waving on the uh clothesline." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, is this a film about like uh?" I think the first thing that struck me was like, "Okay, this is definitely about a mother," because usually mm. you relate like like uh, mak mak yang akan you know settlekan uh, laundry ke apa ke if you uh-huh. you have small kids and what not That's so it got to me that uh, at first and then when uh, the main character the mother start to speak in the narration i'm like oh okay so i understand and and it's about woman empowerment it's about motherhood and then um 
and then it got a little um a little I, I, I don't know what's better word to call but it's got a little meta when you hear the interviewer voice uh in the firm so i got distracted i'm like oh okay i got intimidated by because um initially um i think I didn't prepare myself for that kind of, of interaction. The tone that the daughter mm. used or the filmmaker used to talk to her mother is is something that is a bit... To me, it's a bit um, rude to me. Like, uh, probably mm. they, they just... Sometimes people just talk like that. You, you don't know. So maybe that's how they convey uh, each other feelings and emotions. Probably that's just how they communicate. Um but I got intimidated and I, I feel like macam, oh, okay. Uh, so, I feel like kesian to the, the mother for a bit. But uh, other than that, I think it's um, it was definitely a beautifully crafted, um, definitely a consciously uh, made, macam the shots that they pick and choose or Sophie pick and choose to put in the film is really... Um, really really I would say very mundane in a way macam mula-mula tu is just like what uh, 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 macam your umpayan is just berlambai-lambai like that but then hmm. throughout the film there's there's so many interesting shots that you can see the mother is just um, laying on the um, I think it's a it's an outdoor couch uh, just like very unassuming uh, tak buat apa and then oh that's a character because you finally see a human character before this you see the clothesline and then it got super extreme it got extreme close up to the neck area where and it reminds me of the film the English patient uh, in English patient there's so, you know do you remember the scene where where um uh, Raffins point out about the neck area of the heroine. I can't remember. Sorry, but it's it reminds me Thomas, of I think, that. Right? Uh, I think so. Mm. Young, young. Um, they focus on the neck area where it's throbbing. Much um. Oh, I did notice that. That that's. I think that's the first time where I start to notice. Oh, okay. On under your halcom area, I don't know what what it's exactly called, but it it's throbbing. And then and in this particular film, in uh, Sophie picked pick this uh, like static shot of uh, uh, on the neck area where you can see the blood flow on your carotid. Uh, hmm. I think it's carotid artery where where blood is just pumping and. It, it it got I think time process for a bit there where I was just looking I'm like hmm okay that's interesting and with the narration it really really tells the story about um walaupun walaupun at times it feel disconnected macam the narration is not similar to the visual but hmm. the storytelling of the narration helps you paint a picture of of um, the struggle, especially an Iranian artist like this mother, to to be out there, to to not feel oppressed, to have her work exhibited, and then uh, was said not to do so. So, 
I think all the the amalgamation of the overall uh, uh, overall elements of this mm. film is really really I think um, uplifting and and empowering oh that's wonderful because I was just about to ask you yeah. like how much of this film do you connect with as a woman because you explain a, a fair amount about the filmmaking yeah. side of things like how you yourself have made something mm-hmm. that's not too far away from this but then as a woman mm-hmm. I, there, there's a question here that I wrote down like how much of this film do you connect mm-hmm. with and I thought your your uh, your response kind of answered uh, that fairly well mm-hmm. uh, I, I agree with you as well I mean certainly uh, with some of the points that you made about Sophie's voice being frustrated I mean for, for the benefit of, for the benefit of the listeners who have uh, may not may not have seen the film uh, just yet. Mm-hmm. So basically, the the director Sophie asked her mother about her painting, but then what the mother did was to actually just speak about, mm. I guess you could say, the bigger picture context about how women are treated or have been treated in the Iranian context. At least uh, she she spoke about families as well. Um, I think there's one part uh, later on in the film where she spoke about family bonds in the Middle East being stronger. And mm. I thought that was interesting because perhaps she was comparing it against the here and in the film, which mm. is probably Canada, I, I, I would imagine. Um, and there's also a number of shots uh, you see inside the home of furniture, of, of some chairs mm. still having the plastic covering on top. You know, mm. it's, it's still covered. And it felt that perhaps she does not see this, wherever this may be, as a permanent home. That there's still a chance that she'll be on mm. the move again, uh, that she's still rooted uh, in the place that she calls home, most probably in Tehran, perhaps in Iran, and, and so I think there there were a number of things that she talked about in a more general, in a more abstract way, but but I think mm. as you said, that's something that is is certainly how a fair number of people would speak, but in this case, it is also quite important, the text, which mm. is the answer of just yes and no kind of needed a context mm. which is to explain why it is yes or no do you, do you know what I mean like you can't just give a one word answer yeah. to this you kind of have to explain mm. and, and chart the, the the roots of your thought process and, and the logic that you're working with and I thought mm. that the mother did it very well but the frustration that you feel in Sophie's voice even right near the very end it felt a little uh, harsh I think but I did find it interesting how mm. we have two kind of like uh, two identical shots like that as you mentioned just mm. now there's a, a closing uh, sorry a, a close up shot of the mother's throat or the neck and then we have something similar mm. I, I, I assume uh, of Sophie's neck as well and I thought that was pretty mm. interesting I didn't quite know what to make of it perhaps maybe they are, there's a similarity now or there's a common ground that mm. they're both working with but Nevertheless, mm. I, I just thought that was uh, interesting to, to end uh, the documentary with. Um, if we can call it a documentary. Would you call this a documentary, Eza? Or more of a, is it more of an art installation kind of video or I something? I think this is definitely def- definitely a documentary, but with an experimental or poetic uh, mode to it. Mm. Like, <laughs> I'm going back to the film school where like, oh, there's a couple... Uh, documentary modes that Bill Nichols has classified. One is observatory and so this is uh, to me this falls under poetic and right. yeah definitely definitely uh, an art 
art house boleh ke art house documentary <laughs> tapi it's, it's really it's, it's really um yeah it feels it doesn't feel like a normal or usual documentary that probably people um uh, accustomed to like the expository and the uh, you know performative so this is this is uh, an interesting one modar dar khanewade ye cheezi hastesh ke یک المانیه که کار میکنه پاکی میاره زیبایی میاره Ladies and gentlemen, when we get back, we will discuss the two remaining films in the second week of the Swana Film Festival. Everything is okay. I just want to play unplug for the day and live in the moment. Cuz I'm living like 